The Truth News Network. From sea to shining sea, across the fruited plain, the land of the free and the home of the brave is denied permission to talk about, hear about, read about real news. Denied by three corporations with ties to our political enemies. Where do you get your doses of the truth? TNN, the Truth News Network. And your anchor is Dan Newman. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Was he talking to Pete Moss or was he talking to me, dog-faced pony soldier? I don't know, but I can tell you this. This president does not mind denigrating those who differ with him on any number of topics. If, uh, if you come out against him and his theories, you're not even relevant. He'll just snicker. And you're going to hear a little snickering from President Biden this morning in the show. We have a jam-packed full show this morning. Um, But there are some things we need to remember, some things that we need to um, understand or important this time of year. And I think maybe we should uh, reflect for just a moment um, about some of those things. May not mean much to you, but I know that... uh, This time of year, it's when a lot of people start thinking about things like uh, Christmas. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, when I was listening to this song earlier, I couldn't help but think, this is obviously Mannheim Steamroller. This was Rush Limbaugh's favorite musical group, his favorite time of the year. Here's Mannheim. Deck the halls.
You know, this is really a, a good time of year. It's a tough time of year for me, even though I'm 69 years old. It was on December the 22nd, 1969, my family split up. Dad left. So that kind of put a, you know, a, a black mark on Christmas. But I, I promised when I grew up, when I got married and had a family, we were going to make Christmas a really big deal every year. And we do it. And that's, that's a traditional thing now in the Newman family. Uh, we have big Christmas get-togethers with everybody in the family. And it's a joyous time of year, as it should be. I mean, come on now. Um, it is a really important time of year. And it's not because we're giving presents. It's not because we're decorating trees and seeing how big a deal we can make on our house with lights and stuff. It's not about that. It's about the birth of the Savior of the world. Am I going to preach a message here? No, I'm not. I'm just going to give you some simple facts. Jesus, we celebrate his birth, December 25th. Did he uh, enter the earth on December 25th? have no idea. It was during that particular feast time of the year in Israel, and Israeli feast don't change the dates or the times of year. So it's an assumption, but it's pretty close. But it really doesn't matter what day it was. doesn't matter what time of year it was. All that matters is it happened. And if you don't have any hope this Christmas, if you don't have any family around or your family splintered, or you may be having problems at home with your spouse or your children. If you've got kids that are somewhere, you don't even know where they are maybe. Don't despair. Never give up. Don't you ever give up. And that's the mantra which I walk in my life is just keep trucking on. Make life as good as you want it to be. But it takes time. It takes effort. It takes cooperation. If you're going to have a family, folks, and your family's going to stay together, you're going to have to drop your desires at the door every once in a while and just look and listen to the other members of your family. If you can make a concerted effort 24-7 to put your family members before you, you're generally going to turn out okay. I'm just saying. It's not because I'm a shrink or I know this kind of stuff outside of watching it play out in the lives of people around me, even in my own family, watching it play out. If you want something good out of a relationship, if you want something good out of a family, invest something good in it to make it good. You reap exactly what you sow, which means if you want peaches to grow, make darn sure you don't pant plant watermelon seeds, but you plant peach seeds. It's stupid for us to plant watermelon seeds and then look for a peach tree. Doesn't work that way. Never has, never will. Make it the best that you can do. And if you throw the son of man in there with you, I know you'll be okay. That's what he does. He makes everything okay. Doesn't guarantee we're Going to go through it with no speed bumps or anything like that. That's not the point. He'll be there with us during the speed bumps. That's the point. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. D-Day. Was this D-Day? It was No, this was Pearl Harbor Day. D 
December 7th. Early that Sunday morning, Japan decided they were going to knock off the biggest country on the planet, so they shocked us at Pearl Harbor. We were already in war in Europe against Germany, against Adolf Hitler, and all of a sudden, we're in war on the other side of the world. My father fought in World War II. He was a member of the Navy. His ship wasn't at Pearl Harbor, thankfully, but there are or 20, I think it's 2,800 assumed dead. And if you've never been to Pearl Harbor, you've never gone and watched that amazing video or gone out on these boats, stand-up boats, and stood looking down in the water where the Arizona still lies on the bottom of Pearl Harbor with a couple of thousands dead sailors' bodies still in the ship. And you watch as little bubbles full with oil pop up to the surface. Those are coming from the Arizona all these years later. It reminds you, freedom is not free. Freedom isn't free. Somebody, somebody's got to pay the price for us to have the freedoms that we have. And we're thankful for every one of them. If you served in the military, I want to say thank you for serving making or being willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, giving your life for the nation. Now, i got to be honest with you. I know there are some veterans that are looking around at the uproar in our nation that are second-guessing their commitment to serve, to come back and just years later see the nation in the uproar that it's in now, turmoil everywhere. And again, this time of year, Why don't you just pray about it instead of fretting about it? Just pray about it. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. That all things work together thing, that's a pretty big one for me. So I'm going to keep trucking, doing the best that I can do, walking side by side with many of you and working together with many others. Make the best of what you have. You'll always, if you look away, you'll find somebody that's doing better than you, has more than you. Just like if you look the other way, you're in a better condition than a lot of people too. So your life is your life. Your task, your road is your task and your road. Walk it. Do the best that you can do and pull somebody along with you. None of us live in a vacuum got people all around us. Truth News Network. This is not a solo operation. A lot of people think it is. As a matter of fact, I haven't looked in the last 10 minutes, but our website, for some reason, was just hung up overnight. And we have the uh, experts that manage our site out of Atlanta, Georgia, are looking to find out what's wrong and riding the ship as quickly as possible. Uh, while I'm thinking about it, and we've got a second, let me go look and see if uh, they have found anything. They said they would immediately reach out to me via email. Nope, nothing yet. So if you went to the website this morning, there's a good story on the front page. Just keep checking back. We'll keep you posted during the show, and if they get it up and working, we'll let you know. Again, there's one of those things. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. 
we've got a ton of people out there that go to truthnewsnet.org every morning to get their day started. That's before they come to TNN Live. They went there this morning and it was like, oh my gee, the site's not working. Where's TNN? Where's Truth News Network? It's okay. We're going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. Just a a little speed bump for us. Speaking of speed bumps, I'm going to jump over. I just decided I was going to jump over and uh, touch on a very... uh, a very tense thing that happened yesterday on Fox and Friends. You know who Steve Ducey is? Steve Ducey is one of the co-hosts of Fox and Friends in the morning. You got Brian Kilmeade and Ainsley Earhart, her compadres, every morning, or Kilmeade and Ducey. Ducey's the kind of tall, thin, blonde-headed guy. Well, yesterday, he is... uh, He's got a lot of people concerned about his political ilk over the last few months. Seems like he's been sliding a little further to the left, which is unusual for anybody at Fox News. Well, yesterday, Ducey on air live claimed that the federal government never got involved in the Hunter Biden laptop from hell quagmire. And he quoted journalist Matt Teeby, who broke the Twitter file story on Friday for Elon Musk. However, with the revelation that the FBI was holding weekly meetings with Twitter and Facebook to censor political commentary on their platforms, specifically the breaking of the Hunter Biden laptop story by the New York Post, that opinion, Ducey's, seems a little specious at best, akin to sticking your finger in the ears pretending you don't hear what's going on. Although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign hacks, there is no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. TB tweeted and leftists pounced on his words as validation that there was no involvement by the feds. Many Media sites were already playing down the Twitter files as a dud and not even newsworthy in a transparent effort to provide cover for President Biden and his son. Elon correctly contended that the information he's releasing is evidence of First Amendment violations by the feds, and therefore the media and Democrats are now painting it as no big deal. They don't even directly deny it. Just make it out to be nothing more than blather from the right. So the segment that Ducey said what he said, it began with a clip of Senator Ted Cruz, who decried the actions of Biden's campaign, the FBI and the other Fed agencies, and later the Biden administration, as well as big tech, as being alarmingly unconstitutional. Cruz claimed that the Twitter files we're exposing a lot of corruption concerning elections and censorship and profusely praised Musk for the release. I don't know exactly what Ted Cruz is talking about because he mentioned the FBI right there, but if you read all of Matt TB's post, The Thread, you can see perhaps what he's alluding to, but Ted is wrong. 
Ducey declared and then quoted TB's tweet on not seeing any government involvement in the censorship. Ducey, by saying that, appeared to step in line with leftists when, by claiming TB himself said there was no involvement and therefore it must be true. So, according to the guy who Elon Musk gave all the secrets to, he said, I don't see federal law enforcement involved in the laptop story at all. So, Brian Kilme, co-host, clapped back hard after that statement. How could that be the case, he said. Is the FBI part of the government? Yeah, Ducey replied. Did the FBI get the laptop? Did they go ahead and brief those major social media companies about not doing certain things and suppressing certain things, Kilmeade went on? In the run-up to the election, we heard and we talked about from this couch warnings from the Department of Homeland Security and federal law enforcement that given what happened in 2016, they might try it again. We heard that. But Matt Teeby, who has seen everything, said federal law enforcement was not involved in Twitter and the laptop story, period. Ducey adamantly argued that point, so we shouldn't believe the tweets that were put out. It's bizarre. As Elon Musk says, but Elon Musk says that no doubt about it, there's election meddling from what he's seen so far. This is Kilme responding to his buddy, Steve Ducey. Right. But I think he's referring to big tech, and big tech obviously had their finger on the scale when it came to Joe Biden, Ducey remarked, not realizing that he had just circled back to the FBI, the federal government, and Biden, all being connected with big tech. But Kilmeade wasn't fight. He wasn't. He wasn't fighting, but he wasn't quite finished. He pointed out that the FBI could have said, get rid of this and censor that without getting caught up in the details of those actions. Ducey kept contending it had to be true because TB said it was. It was kind of a a cordial conversation, but Kilmeade was utterly convinced of the FBI's involvement because of the meetings and the other shenanigans while Ducey played deaf and dumb to the facts presented. Now, the reason I put this on top of the show, I want to ask you. Fox News has always been the friends of every conservative, every real conservative in American politics, always. They've been very supported. Steve Ducey has always walked that line right down the middle, leaning to the right. My question to you is, is this an indication that Steve Ducey, one-third of Fox's big show in the morning, Fox and Friends, do you think one of those three co-hosts is really a veiled leftist? And he's just showing his colors here. Or maybe he's making a move. Maybe he's trying to make an obvious move. I don't know, but I thought everybody ought to realize that's going on so you could begin to pay attention to it. I didn't watch Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, I'll go back and watch it a little bit later in the day, and if I find out anything specific other than what you just heard, I'll come back tomorrow morning and tell you about it. But you might want to spread that thought around to some of your friends. It is a really big deal. 
So we all know by now, Raphael Warnock won the runoff for Senate against Herschel Walker in Georgia yesterday. Very, very close race. Very close. And of course, we here at Truth News Network, we're very disappointed. Not so much because we had any real evidence that Herschel Walker would be a good U.S. senator. We do know without question he would be a very committed and an all-in senator. My feelings about the race are kind of threefold. Number one, Raphael Warnock is not, was not, and won't be qualified to serve the people of Georgia in the United States Senate because He's in the tank for anything and everything. His hands were dirty when he went to the Senate for that two-year stint. They got dirtier during that two years. He's not a good person. He's not well thought of in any place, really in Georgia, outside of the big counties around Atlanta and then the surrounding population of Atlanta. Now, what does that mean, Dan? It means he was, for two years, a rubber stamp for Chuck Schumer. He voted for every leftist bill that came into the chamber that went up for a vote, every single one. Herschel Walker is a conservative. A lot of what people heard during the campaign, the negative things about Herschel were proven to be setups, not factual, but big media. They were all over anything negative that would come out. It doesn't matter who it was on the Republican side. They were going to go to war. The most expensive runoff election in U.S. history. Warnock spent five times what Herschel Walker spent. And we're talking about more than $10 million by Warnock. That's a lot of money to spend for a seat that pays $170,000 a year. And if you think that's all that he makes or that position pays, you got up early to smoke something this morning because it's ridiculous. And now we're at this feckless end to the congressional year, just a couple of weeks left. And Joe Biden's going to be gone January the 3rd. At least his control over the Democrat-controlled Senate will remain, but he lost some allies. Leadership under Nancy Pelosi in the House because the House will belong to Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans there. Now, congressional leaders are really sweating these few boondoggle pieces of legislation that the Democrats have thrown out there, and they've stuffed them all full of things, big spending measures that have long-reaching results that, if they get passed, will be locked up in these things. And they're some of the worst pieces of legislation I've ever looked at. The defense bill, what is that supposed to do? It's supposed to be to fund the U.S. defense, period. The defense bill is full of pork. Now, overnight, congressional leaders stripped from that defense package one very controversial proposal that would have allowed media organizations like Twitter and 
Facebook and Google to create cartels and they could get together and collectively bargain with big tech companies. The text of the National Defense Authorization Act released on Tuesday evening proves that. The revelation that the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, JCPA, has been stripped from the text of the defense bill after congressional leaders had agreed to include it just days ago. And they're doing that as a massive development overnight that comes after congressional leaders were caught off guard by the swift and severe blowback. Severe blowback. My goodness. Phone is going crazy. (laughs) Uh, It's a big deal. The removal is a massive win for conservatives, sweeping criticism from across the political spectrum in the wake of reports that Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell had caved to the Democrats on this particular thing, but particularly criticism among Republicans who were shocked leaders had agreed to include the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. Several GOP senators joined in the chorus of critics in public and also in private. They ripped the push to shred and delay the release of the NDAA's final text by more than a full day and throwing the final weeks of this lame duck Congress into disarray. Sorry, folks. It happened. It's a good thing that it happened. A defense bill that was released yesterday would force the Biden administration to rescind the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for troops. And that's a huge victory for Republicans, military advocates, and families who pushed hard for it to be included in the bill. Biden administration's military vaccine mandate to get fully vaxxed or face discharge resulted in more than 8,000 troops being kicked out of the military. But the mandate threatened the livelihoods of an estimated 60,000 more service members who didn't wish to take the vaccine. Thousands of those had filed for religious exemption from the vaccine, but their requests were largely dismissed, prompting a warning from the Pentagon Inspector General. After the pushback, despite it happening from troops and Republicans in Congress, the Biden administration dug in its heels, saying as recently as Monday of this week, it was and is opposed to repealing the mandate. So it's got to be passed by Congress and sent to be signed by President Joe Biden to become law, but it's likely it passes since it was worked out over weeks by both Republicans and Democrats on the House and Senate Armed Services Committee. So you ask a question, why wait till the last minute? Why don't you just do the right thing? We, We pass a defense act, we have to, every year for the upcoming year. Why would we even discuss including a bunch of other stuff in the defense bill let's just make the military stand alone when it comes to its financial structure and its legal structure instead of trying to cram a bunch of stuff into it making it an omnibus bill that's nothing more than a big fat watermelon that's hollowed out for people to throw a bunch of other junk inside of it 
And keep in mind, though they say these have been done until they vote on them and it goes to the president's desk to be signed, it's still in existence. We don't know if it's not going to end up being included in that. We don't know. Even if both houses pass it, it'll have to go to the president's desk to be signed. What if he doesn't want to sign it? You know he doesn't want to. That's a power thing for the Biden administration. Led by Dr. Anthony Fauci, these mandatory vaccines that do nothing long-term, nothing and hundreds of thousands of adverse effects on Americans and other people around the world from the vaccines, they still insist. Fauci and everybody else in the Biden administration, they insist. The vaccines are good and everybody should be required to take one. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. A friend of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. No, nope, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy and, pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo. Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior fry, and value drink. Price participation may vary. In a world of sizzle over substance, in a world where the evidence doesn't stand taller than the agenda, in a world where the facts are not compelling enough to convince, you're enrolled in a university of reality. TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Professor Dan Newman. I never say the word Jesus in a uh, meaningless way, but I got to tell you, Jesus, man, are we in trouble? And I'm talking to Jesus when I say we're in trouble. I just got, that was a phone call from my uh, my closest person in the world besides my wife, Mary Ann. And he was questioning the election and said, what does this do? Does it put us in deadlock in the Senate? And I said, no, it's 5141 Democrats way now. Unless there are Democrat senators when anything comes up that are willing to work with the Republicans, and it happens all the time mostly, but there are no guarantees. Just politically, let's talk about this for a second. We're in a real conundrum now because if we're going to get anything good done, legally, legitimately done over the next couple of years, 
We are going to have to go to war every single day in Congress. And so my question is, and I'll ask the question and then I'll pause for about 10 seconds and then I'll answer it for you. Do members of Congress, members of the House and the Senate, Republicans, do they have the backbone, the fortitude to stand up against the Democrats and make demands? If we were asking that question about Democrats, I would tell you point blank, I could name a hundred or so. Not only do they have the backbone to stand up, they'll put their foot down and say, don't even think about it. I'm not changing my mind. So what will it take to get anything done? It'll take every Republican and Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Those are two Democrat members of the Senate that have on several occasions come across caucused with their Republican counterparts and have either stopped some really egregious bills from becoming law or they've helped get some law measures passed that they couldn't have gotten passed if it was just the Republicans in the Senate. One good thing is Republicans now control the White House. But just remember this, just because there's a certain number of elected people from both parties where the thing is split and that we do have a majority in the House, it's not as much as we really thought it would be or really won't, but it still is a pretty good majority. And we're only down one Senate seat. It's going to take a lot of work every day by members of both the Congress, both houses, but members of the party, which brings up the party leadership. It looks to me like there needs to be a change at the top of the RNC. And I know I'll probably be called a sexist because the current president of the RNC, not an elected official, a relative of uh, Mitt Romney. And uh, I think I know for a fact her job is in trouble because there are a lot of people that are already lining up to apply for the gig. But you know what? We lost the Senate. And that's a bit a big deal. The principal job of the RNC chair is to make sure that the Republicans, the GOP, win control in every election. That did not happen. Remember my mantra. Nothing changes if nothing changes. If you want to change losing a close election like Herschel Walker lost yesterday, the sole reason for there to be a Republican National Committee is to make sure every resource that is necessary to win an election, especially like one yesterday, that it's there and it's used to win elections didn't happen. So we're going to watch and see what happens there. So many things to cover this morning. Oh my gosh. So many things. Ron Klain, you know who he is? He's the number one guy in the White House. Ron Klain is the chief of staff for Joe Biden. And on Monday, he made the most outrageous claim that I've ever heard come out of the White House. He claimed Monday that carefulness with taxpayers' money 
is very important to those who work in the Biden administration. Carefulness with taxpayers' money is very important to those who work in the Biden administration. Now, put that in a context which they posted so far deficits worth a combined $4.2 trillion in fiscal years 2021 and 2022. He was speaking at the Wall Street Journal CEO Council Summit. Klain, who doesn't get in front of the public very often at all, he said, quote, fiscal responsibility is very important to us in the Biden administration. We're very aware that we have to stay within our means economically. Come on now, $4.2 trillion. That means we gave them a credit card. They blew right through the credit card, and they came back and got a $4.2 trillion credit card limit from us, and they've spent all of that. <laughs> Klain said, I think you'll see that in the president's budget, that will come out next spring. And you'll see that in everything we've tried to do these past years, he's talking about the fact that carefulness with taxpayers' money is very important to the Biden administration. During the last two years, Joe's administration has posted massive deficits, collecting less than it's spent. According to the Bipartisan Policy Center, the Biden administration spent $1.4 trillion taxpayer dollars more than it collected in fiscal year 2022. In 2021, they spent $2.8 trillion more than taxpayer dollars came in. And just so you understand the dollars, more money in both of those years came in in tax revenue than had ever come in before, setting records. More taxpayer dollars going to Washington, and the government spent every bit of that and borrowed a bunch more, $4.2 trillion more. According to the GOP House Committee on Budget, Biden's 2021 spending spree ran up the second highest deficit in our history. In fact, it was $517 billion higher than the Congressional Budget Office had projected for 2021, after Democrats rammed through their $2 trillion American rescue plan. The Biden administration has been a key contributor to the deficits for the nation. The committee also calculated the administration has spent over a trillion bucks on 600 executive orders. Now, those are policies that are implemented by the administration without going to Congress and Congress getting involved. Joe has spent over $1 trillion on those things, solo. Congress was designed by the founders as the institution that controlled the purse. But checks and balances have been overridden in many cases, and they do it because Congress seems to prefer to delegate its authority to the executive branch instead of having regular order. Listen, this has got to happen in Congress. Regular order. If you don't know anything about it, if there's something you want to bring up to be considered, to be mapped out and debated, get all kinds of agreements in it, finally draft a bill, go to the floor of the House, the floor of the Senate, and present it there and let debate and amendments kind of amend the document and then take a vote on it. They don't do that anymore. 
because Pelosi was in charge of the House of Representatives. She just got with Democrat leaders, and they all decide among themselves they would write bills, put in them what they wanted, never go to committees, never be discussed, never have amendments even considered. They'll go to the full floor. They don't need Republicans to pass any legislation in the House. They just do it with the Democrats. And then you got Schumer across the aisle. We've had a 50-50 tie that was broken by the vote of the vice president, who was president of the Senate, and that happened a bunch. So there are no checks and balances there. You've got a president of the United States that issued 600 executive orders bypassing Congress. i got to be honest with you. I'm an adamant supporter of doing away, 100% doing away with executive orders and earmarks. It's time that we go back to regular order where when there's something that is important enough to be considered by our leaders, it goes through the, the legislative process as established to make sure everything has been debated into it Changes have been made to fit the various concerns that are echoed in regular order debate at the committee level. And then if that committee, when they finish, put it all together, they take a vote to see if it'll go to the floor. And then it goes to the floor and the same process starts over again. So by the time you get to the end of that, everybody knows what's in it. Everybody knows what was taken out, if anything. And then they vote to either send the bill to the Senate or the Senate send their legislation to the House and then the process starts there. If it finishes up there, then it goes to the president and the president signs it into law. Biden doesn't do that. He doesn't He doesn't need it. He makes it very clear. I don't need you guys. I'm the president. I have autocratic authority. Of course, he won't admit it, but he does. He uses it because he's not being held accountable. So if you want to stay mad at Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, for what's happening at the southern border, stay mad at him. He's not the one that allowed it to happen. There's one that sits at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue that has done it. Christopher Ray, FBI Director, Merrick Garland, Attorney General, they are complicit in massive lawbreaking that is allowed by members of Congress in cahoots with the White House, period. Every one of them needs to be held to the fullest extent of the law. Something's got to change. Something has got to change. We can't continue moving down this road. We just can't do it. It's almost like they just think, hey, what do you want to do today? Do you need some more money? Do you need to put up and pay for some pet projects for somebody that's a big campaign contributor to you? We're working on those things today, and we're in a lame duck section session because we know in the House of Representatives that Democrats, we've lost our power January 3rd we got to turn everything over to the Republicans. So between now and January 3rd, let's spin. Let's spin, spin, spin. 
And that's exactly what they're doing. I know you'll be excited to know what came out of the January 6th committee yesterday. Some information. They say, and then they take that back and they suggest maybe, but the consensus is they're going to make some criminal referrals for people that were involved in the January 6th debacle to be prosecuted for various wrongdoings on January 6th. Criminal referral. Now, what is that all about? They keep and have been and will continue to make these outlandish allegations against people that were there, Trump supporters, other conservatives. The whole picture was drawn up to be a huge, massive, armed group of angry MAGA supporters that came in with their Trump hats on in military garb with fully loaded guns, AR-15s, and were there to shoot whoever got in their way, but they were going to make sure that 2020 election was not confirmed. It's a bunch of poppycock. It was and is nothing like that. January 6th committee chairman Benny Thompson signaling today that the committee is wrapping up its work and could be close to issuing criminal referrals. For more, let's get straight to ABC's Jay O'Brien up there on Capitol Hill. Jay, what's the latest? Yeah, there's a lot to wade through on this, Kira. So uh, our colleagues, uh, Catherine Folders and Will Staken, caught up with Benny Thompson not long ago. They asked him that exact question, where is the committee on criminal referrals? Thompson first said that the committee will make referrals to DOJ. Then he went, then he said that they probably will. And then he said it was under consideration. So where the committee is landing in all of this is still an open question. But it's important to point out, even if there were criminal referrals, made by the January 6th committee. It would go to the Department of Justice, which is already conducting its own large-scale sweeping investigation into the Capitol attack. There's already a special counsel focusing on, firstly, those Trump documents found at Mar-a-Lago, those classified documents, but also any role that the former president may have had in January 6th. So there's already a large-scale DOJ effort looking into January 6th, and any January 6th committee criminal referral would largely be symbolic. But as you said, it does indicate that the committee is trying to wrap up its work as well as come out with that report they've got to come out with by the at least the new year. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to getting our hands on that report, seeing exactly what all that testimony and all the witnesses coming forward and talking uh, will, will be, well, what, what it'll look like on paper. Meanwhile, there was a pretty emotional moment today on the Hill, right? Several Capitol police officers and others who defended um, our nation's Capitol were awarded the Congressional Gold Medal for their heroic acts on January 6th. Tell us more. Yeah, this was a ceremony for the United States Capitol Police, as well as the D.C. Metro Police, as you mentioned, to honor the heroism of those who defended the United States Capitol on January 6th. You see the presentation of those medals there. There will be four medals. One will be on display in the Smithsonian to serve as a reminder to those visiting the nation's capital of what January 6th means in this country's broader history. We heard from Speaker Pelosi, who talked about how the United States Capitol is an enduring symbol of democracy. We heard from leaders of both parties. Uh, let's play a little sound, firstly of Kevin McCarthy, the Republican House leader, and then of Speaker Pelosi. We're forever indebted to them for their heroism. 
Today, we take an important step towards repaying the debt. With great patriotism, determination, and resilience, they answered the call to serve, putting their lives on the line to protect the Capitol, the Congress, and the Constitution. Noteworthy there because Kevin McCarthy so rarely talks about January 6th uh, in a public setting like that. Um, there were 21 Republicans who did vote not to give the U.S. Capitol Police the Congressional Gold Medal, but overwhelmingly this was a very bipartisan gesture because there are 213 Republicans in the House, so overwhelmingly Republicans in that chamber voted to present the Capitol Police and the D.C. Metro Police with the Congressional Gold Medal, and obviously it passed unanimously in the Senate as well. So this was a symbol of bipartisanship to honor those who heroic defended this building on that day, Kira. And Jay uh, Pelosi mentioning the importance of protecting our Constitution. Lawmakers finally responding to a truth social post from former President Trump where he suggested terminating the Constitution. He just loves to stir the pot. Yeah, when the Senate was voting last night is when a lot of Republicans had to face questions from reporters, us included, about what their read was on that Trump Truth Social post. Lindsey Graham, who I caught up with outside the Senate chamber, I asked him if he felt that that comment about terminating aspects of the Constitution was disqualifying for a former president who's now running for president again. He said he doesn't think so. I asked him why not. And he talked about Hunter Biden and Twitter and the anger from some on the right as to how how they feel the 2020 election was run. Uh, there were others. Senator Josh Hawley uh, said that he doesn't believe that the and I'm paraphrasing here, but that, that you can terminate aspects of the Constitution. Senator Ted Cruz went and talked about how the Constitution is an enduring document. So there are lawmakers who are even Trump allies who are distancing themselves from those comments, but not going the full Monty in condemning them, Kira. I wanted you to hear ABC's response, because I knew at the end of it they were going to go into the allegation that Trump said he wanted to terminate the Constitution. He did not. He did not. I have um, in front of me valid proof and evidence that they, and I know this will shock you, they took out of context what Donald Trump said. First time ever media did that, right? <laughs> No, they take every opportunity they can still to denigrate him. The media are scared to death of Donald Trump. Every Democrat, they think they see Donald Trump hiding behind a tree when they go uh, to get a, uh, a a big drink or something at a sit-go service station. Trump's everywhere. He's in everything. It just, it just gets me going crazy when there are so many things, so many things out there that we need to be talking about, and yet we don't. We don't because somebody like ABC has that newscast. They do that report you just heard. How many millions of people heard that and just automatically assume, hey, they told us it was so, so I guess it was so when it wasn't so. You always hear from the allegation, the people that say something happened. But you very seldom hear from the person who allegedly said it, and you certainly never hear it in the context of what was being discussed in total. I'll just paraphrase it and tell you what Donald Trump said. He was talking about, he shouldn't have used probably the word terminate. 
in the context of using in that sentence the Constitution, but what he was referring to was terminating the election process that allowed all of that stuff to happen that resulted totally is what resulted in the January 6th stuff. And that's factual, folks. That's exactly what he said. If you want to verify for yourself, please do it. It's all over the Internet. You can find it, the context of exactly what Trump said. And you put it in the context, you cannot draw any conclusion like these hard leftists have drawn. That's what they do. I mean, they're just being who they are. We shouldn't question it. We should expect them to take apart everything they can regarding Donald Trump. And you heard that reporter say, is there anything in his doing that would, which would make him ineligible to run for president? Absolutely not. Do you know there is no nothing in the Constitution? If you are a felony convicted American, you can run for president of the United States legally. Did you know that? If you've been to prison, you can still run. If you're under if you're under indictment, you can still run. Nobody will tell you that. That is the facts. We're going to take this break and during the break I'm going to actually get the part, the phrase out of the constitution that tells you who's eligible. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hello? I just wanted to compliment you on your new beautiful furniture. Who is this? Oh, I live in the building right next to, uh, yours. You do? And I'm looking right inside your living room window. <laughs> My what? I bet you've been to Ikea store-wide sale, haven't you? Jiminy, some creepy guy is looking in our window. What? I bet you got that nice leather recliner from Ikea. Too. Uh, yes, we get all our furniture from Ikea. Especially right now during Ikea's super mega blowout sale, huh? Jiminy! What, woman? Close the freaking drapes! Oh, I can see in the bedroom, too. Oh, God. Jiminy! What? Hey, are those designer shower curtains? Ah! Jiminy! Shut up, woman! The super mega blowout sale at Ikea, where you can get everything you need for your home. Out for some lays and you face a test Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue Cheddar, sour cream, salt and vinegar too You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips Yeah, You left your wallet at home But now you have a new best friend The many flavors of Lay's chips One taste and you're in love
Yeah, that'll give us a little uh, spark for a minute. Again, that's Mannheim Steamroller, Rush Limbaugh's favorite Christmas group. I've always liked them. Uh, in fact, I first heard of Mannheim Steamroller on a Rush Limbaugh show. I was listening to him when I was working for WTPI in Indianapolis. And I found Rush Limbaugh 1989 on WIBC. Uh, that's a talk radio station in Indianapolis and Rush Limbaugh was doing a show there. He had just become a national syndicated radio host. And he talked about Mannheim Steamroller. I moved to Indianapolis and was there for two Christmases. And the first Christmas season is when I first heard Mannheim Steamroller. They're different. You recognize the song, though, especially this time of year, Deck the Halls. Okay, back to the qualifications to run for president. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5 of the U.S. Constitution sets only three qualifications for holding the presidency. To serve as president, one must be a natural-born U.S. citizen of the U.S., be at least 35 years old, be a resident in the United States for at least 14 years. A person who meets the above qualification could still not be qualified to hold office if they've exceeded the term limits of the 22nd Amendment, in other words, can't serve more than two terms, or if they have been disqualified from holding any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. That's a legal term which debatedly may or may not include the presidency as well. Following either impeachment and conviction under Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7, or rebellion against the United States and subsequent disqualification under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So the examples that I gave you are, are absolutely true. You could have a convicted felon that wanted to run for president. If he meets those qualifications, he or she could do it. I started to say, why do they hate Donald Trump so much? They shouldn't. There's no president in my lifetime that has done the good for me personally, as did Donald Trump. Most Americans say the exact same thing because it's a fact. He did it. He absolutely did it. Now let's get on with other business. Jean-Pierre, she came out yesterday and she attacked Elon Musk. Here's what she said. Let me scroll on down. Okay. He was, she was asked this question, is the White House's view that the decisions made at Twitter were made appropriately in terms of decisions to censor this reporting ahead of the election? That was a question asked Corinne Jean-Pierre. We see this as an interesting or a coincidence, if I may, that he, Musk, would so haphazardly push this distraction that is full of old news, if you think about it, she said, this time, 
Twitter is facing very real and very serious questions about the rising volume of anger, hate, and anti-Semitism on their platform and how they're letting it happen. And you know, the president said last week, more leaders need to speak out and reject this, and it's very alarming and very dangerous. Regarding the question, Corrine also addressed her previous remark that the White House is keeping a close eye on Twitter for misinformation and hate. Quote, you mischaracterized what I actually said, took it out of context when you asked her question. Look, when you asked the question, and I've already addressed this about how the White House and the administration is seeing what's happening on Twitter, this is Jean-Pierre. We follow also what's going on, just like you guys are reporting, just like you guys are seeing. And what I was commenting to is, yes, we are seeing what is happening, just like you all are seeing what's happening with Twitter. Man, if she's not circle back junior, I don't know what she's is. Musk called for accountability for Twitter's initial leadership over the suppression of that story on Biden's laptop. In October 2020, Twitter locked the accounts of the New York Post and former White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany for posting a report detailing an email from the laptop indicating a meeting between Biden and his father, Joe, with an executive of Ukrainian gas company Burisma Holdings in 2015. A signed declaration by Twitter's former head of site integrity, Yoel Roth, found that the FBI warned him. This is Yoel Roth. He was warned. And Twitter executives were warned of a hack and leak operation against Biden by, quote, state actors. And they were talking about the release of the Hunter Biden laptop. And then immediately, you know the story, 51, former, quote, unquote, intelligence uh, officials of the government. 51 of them signed a letter stating what? Hunter Biden's laptop and the whole story is Russian disinformation. If anybody out there doesn't believe there was coordination between the White House, between the FBI, between the Department of Justice and the social media companies, you are smoking something illegal. Stop it. It happened. There is mounds of evidence that proves it beyond even a question. You know what? It just shocks me, even though I'm years into this realization. It shocks me that people in mainstream media still run after all of these Democrat far-left ideological things and they throw caution to the wind and they're just all in. It's like running up to the edge of a swimming pool. It's dark water. You don't know what's underneath, but because somebody told you it was good, you just go right in and forget about it. Just whatever they told you to do, You're all in. That's what these mainstream media have done. They have swallowed the poison pill. Twitter confirmed 
that one of its top officials, Attorney James Baker, former FBI general counsel during the Russia collusion hoax, James Baker was fired yesterday by Elon Musk in the middle of concerns that were raised about him having a role in suppression of information. Press release said, in light of concerns about Baker's possible role in its suppression of information important to the public dialogue, he was exited from Twitter today. Elon Musk wrote that on Twitter. Musk did not offer any other details on Baker's firing or what role he played at the firm. Musk is the new owner of Twitter. He was responding to an article written by Jonathan Turley, the George Washington University law professor and political commentator, who noted that Baker was a former FBI general counsel. Baker has not issued a public comment about his apparent departure from Twitter. All of this is tied together. None of it exists in a vacuum. Officials from the FBI and the Homeland Security Department frequently met with major social media companies ahead of the 2020 elections and pointed out users and pieces of content they thought should be removed. And they were removed at the behest of people in the White House. We found that the FBI plays a big role in working with social media companies to censor speech from weekly meetings with social media companies ahead of the 2020 election to ask for account takedowns. This is from Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. These were in a bunch of tweets that he wrote. And he did it after he deposed Special Agent Elvis Chan, who's in charge of cyber affairs at the FBI San Francisco field office of Twitter. Chan has given major social media companies warnings that have led them to censor information about a laptop belonging to Hunter, Hunter Biden, shortly before the election that put Biden in office, according to a lawsuit against the Biden administration led by Attorney General of Missouri Eric Schmidt, Louisiana's Attorney General Jeff Landry. All of this is out on the table. It's not secret. You don't have to believe any of it. You don't. If you want to look at the facts and draw some different uh, conclusions that uh, most thinking Americans have drawn, that's your choice. Go get it, folks. Do what you want to do. That's your right. Just because you think something is good for you, It's not good for you just because you think it's good for you. Just because you think something is true that somebody says doesn't mean it's true. Our number one lesson here is discount what you hear about anything and everything. If it's important enough for you to be concerned about, go find out for yourself. Take what you hear and go prove it is true. If you can't prove it's true, it's not. It's pretty simple. Well, what are, what are they going to do if they lose Donald Trump, if he exits from the political blogosphere? He's not 
in the public eye at all. What are they going to do? Are they going to find another shill? They may have one in the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. My goodness, he's out there and he's making all kinds of waves. By the way, he's stumping his chest for the great results in pretty much every area of life in the whole state of Florida since he's been elected governor. And he's bragging about it. You know what? Like Neon Dion Sanders said, after his very successful NFL career, he told Howard Corsell they were talking about, Cosell, they were talking about how much bragging he did and Deion Sanders famously said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. Ron DeSantis is doing it. Ron DeSantis' team is firing back after the latest liberal media attack on the Florida governor. A new media outlet called Semaphore explains that DeSantis is, quote, and these are their words, building his own alternative conservative media ecosystem in Florida. It claims the governor has been freezing out the mainstream press while enjoying the luxury of giving interviews to outlets backed by GOP donors. The governor's press secretary tweeted this. It's not luxury to have print and corporate media stacked against you, but conservatives have to fight back and refuse to accept that biased and dishonest media are entitled to attention or access. Maybe this is what he was talking about. Ron DeSantis makes no sense to me. Uh, gun safety advocates. In any, in any, in any, not just on this list. By the way, in general. This, yeah, by the way, that was a blanket statement. Zelensky yeah. is about to, is on the cusp of winning the largest land war in Europe uh, against a country 10 times its size. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the victory that he has in his sights. Ron DeSantis won Miami-Dade County. Yeah, it's about that access, about that fighting against the the media who aren't on your side. Uh, Do they not think that exists? (laughs) You know, I think that the the left, just any time there's a Republican candidate, a a Republican leader, they're going to attack them regardless, regardless of the success. For example, in the case of DeSantis, where he was literally, it was a landslide what we saw in Florida. And and really the fact that he's been able to take a purple state, turn it into red, and motivate and win these critical counties like Miami-Dade County that he won by 11 points. So they don't criticize Yellen, Secretary of Treasury Yellen, for example, Janet Yellen, but definitely Ron DeSantis, he can't get, you know, they're going to, absolutely criticize him uh, because they know that he's the one that stands up against the leftist media. There's so many reasons that Yellen comes out of your mouth that I'm wondering which one you mean. (laughs) Do you mean the one where she said that if you don't have abortion in this country, black women and the fact that they can't get abortions will hurt the economy, that that we will be the problem? Right. And that is that an example? That, I mean, I'm that wondering could be one which one example, you mean. And the fact is that what did they say? That inflation was temporary. That it was, you know. That part. That part as well. So she has brought really nothing to the table. Here you have Ron DeSantis, who has become a, a leader of the Republican Party, transformed a state, and obviously is going to be a force of nature going into the next, uh, these next two years. Yeah. Emily, is it partially fear, too? I mean, DeSantis is the complete opposite of, of Joe Biden if he decides. If either one of them end up running for, for the White House, in 2024. I mean, I won't say he's half Biden's age, because that would mean I can't subtract, but he's close, and he's, got, he's just got a different perspective on the electorate. I mean, he's, he's not hating half the people. 
Right. Uh, to me, it's the difference between a, a smartphone and an, a rotary phone. For you. <laughs> Everything <laughs> from... a record player? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, right, those right, are right. 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 Um, I just find, especially now, as, as you take them in, in comparison to each other, the prowess of actual leadership, of actual governing, the impact, the positive impact on people's lives, the intellectual clarity, um, the, the verbal skills, the communication skills. And I appreciate so much that his team is the same, that the reflection from the top down hits the nail on the head, says, you're calling it a luxury? This, this is what we have to do. We refuse right. to enable this partisan left-wing media. We refuse to acknowledge that that access is denied us and somehow means that our, our value is less. We're, we refuse to acknowledge essentially the self-aggrandizement of the left-wing media and say, oh yes, self-proclaimed prom king and queen, I must bow at your feet. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And they call them out one by one. They say, do your research. You say, I have an interview anywhere since 2021 with CBS, actually multiple during Hurricane Ian, Telemundo. I refuse to do your pay-by-play and your, uh, you know, Lincoln Project and your Democratic activists that are acting as, as regular media. They, they tick by tick lined up and actually uh, refuted everything that was in these articles. And I just find this is the tip of the iceberg. I think as, as he goes forward, it's going to get even uglier on their side. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the word luxury, Martha. Something else popped in, in that comment about what conservatives face in the media and it's this idea that on the other side of the political aisle there's not just a, a fangirling that goes on for democratic candidates and lawmakers among the mainstream media at times it's it's a complicity in whatever that person's goals are even if they're not good for the country for instance how many mainstream liberal leaning journalists do you think today are going to push the president on the border and and going to phoenix and, and not going to the border. No, it's not a 15-minute drive. Boy, you can learn a lot going from Phoenix to the border. There's a whole lot to see. That's for sure. That's for sure. And I think, you know, when I watch the comments of these people, all I can think is, you know what, it really isn't about you. It's not about what you think. It's about what the voters think. And if you travel around Florida, you're going to hear people say, uh, oh, I love our governor. I mean, I, I'm, I'm amazed at the unabashed, uncynical nature of pretty much everybody that I come across in Florida who says, you know, well, he did a great job on COVID. You know, our senior citizens were taken care of. The schools were open. Businesses were open. They increased the tax base because all these people moved there. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think, honestly, like when I see articles being written about how he's awkward and he's this and he's that, well, we'll see how all that works out when he, if he decides to run and through the primary yeah. process and all that. But what all, all that matters is what the voters think. All that matters is what the voters think. That's what you and I think about what any person that's in government is representing us and doing, getting, getting it done. You know, we have these pontificators that will stand up and they'll say, I did this. Joe Biden is taking victory laps every day for things that most of them he didn't do that he's claiming he did. But even a few of them that he claims that he did, somebody else did it. If you just look, stop right now and look. Get your big pad. You know, the big yellow pads that are got the lines written on it. Draw a line from the top to the bottom in the middle. On the left side, write everything you think that Donald Trump did good. Good things that happened under Donald Trump for you and other Americans that you know. Good things that he did. And then when you get through doing that, 
I know we're only two years into a Biden administration, but if you listen to Joe Biden and you see him pounding his chest, he's done all kinds of stuff. Write all of the things, the good things down that Joe Biden has done for you. And when you get through doing that, turn the page over. Draw another line right down the middle. On the left side, write everything that Donald Trump did that was bad. It was not what he was supposed to do. It was illegal. It was unethical. Write all those down on the left side. You get through with that, write down the same things about Joe Biden's bad stuff that he's done. And then spend a little time being objective and thinking. Turn it back over to the front page and just do Trump for a minute. The left column, look at all the things that you wrote down, the good things that happened when he was president. Then turn it over, all the bad things that he's done when he was president and since. Then go back to the front page, look through and go down and think about all the things that you wrote down, the good things that Biden has done, flip it over and all the bad things that Biden has done. If you, when you finish that, will come up and be proud of this president, when compared with the previous president, if that's the conclusion that you draw, you really are having difficulties. I don't want anybody to be stuck in a hole where they didn't need to go into that hole, but they believe something, they chose to believe something that someone else said or did, and they labeled it as factual when it's not, but they continue to believe that it really was factual. It happened just as it was described. You've got a mental problem, and you certainly have some really screwed up politics in your back. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine walking around like that. Just face facts. Nothing more than that. Nobody has to pontificate to you about this Republican ideology and that Democrat ideology, the principles that they espouse and the principle. Nobody, look, you're smart people. Make up your own minds. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society, the wheel, the printing press the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. You love chocolate. Mm. Chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. The Brontosaurus. For millennia, These gentle and graceful giants roamed the earth, grazing off the lush vegetation of the time. Their mere existence transformed the landscape, 
and made a lasting impact on our world. It's that legacy that Dino Oil is proud to continue by using their eons-old dead bone goop to fuel your five-door wagon, making it the oldest form of recycling there is. Dino Oil. Embrace the power of bones. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink. Price participation may vary. When the lie becomes the norm, speaking the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Dan Newman. TNN. The Truth News Network. Isn't it a shame that we have to really think it through to come up with and label something as factual or otherwise? We ought to just be able to sense it in our spirits. I would have never thought what I'm about to tell you happened. Up in Oregon, there is what's called Ballot Measure 114. BM114 would have taken effect on December 8th. Now, what is that case? Well, the case rendered, let me go to the top. Circuit Judge Richard Rascio is the judge in this, and he placed a temporary restraining order on that Oregon's Ballot Measure 114. It requires, the ballot does, BM114, it requires Oregon residents to acquire a permit before they're allowed to legally purchase a gun. The case was filed December 2nd, seeking a temporary restraining order, a TRO, and a preliminary injunction against BM114. On the 6th, yesterday, Rascio issued the TRO and ordered defendants to return to the court December 13th to show cause, if any, why a preliminary injunction should not enter and continue throughout the pendency of this action. BM114 passed in November with 50.65% of the vote. This is in Oregon. The day before the vote, a Bearings Arm report stated that BM114 was being bankrolled by out-of-state donors. The case is Arnold V. Brown, number 22CV41008, in the Circuit Court for the State of Oregon for the County of Harney. This Second Amendment thing, it's just it just it just gets new life every day. Somewhere there's some leftist organization or some leftist government that goes out there and they create legislation or they create executive orders or policies that infringe upon the Second Amendment. To be honest with you, they do the same thing about the First Amendment. Disinformation. Elon Musk has pulled the uh, cover back on all kinds of government disinformation which is actual violations of the First Amendment. Do you think anybody's going to be held accountable for what the Department of Justice, the FBI, Homeland Security, and Joe Biden have done to violate the First Amendment? And now the Second Amendment is coming up every once in a while, and it looks like the same things have been happening. 
You know what? We've said this from the beginning. If somebody does wrong and they're never held accountable for it, why should they stop doing it? Just because they should know better? Well, yeah, in most cases, almost every case, they do know better. They choose to break the law. Oregon, of all places, one of the most liberal states in the union, and they're actually trying to keep a law being passed that makes people do something specific to be able to buy a gun, and it's not constitutional. It's not. With all the hubbub over at Twitter, it looks like progressives and Democrats could be finally receiving a taste of their own medicine. Quid pro quo, right? The official Biden White House Twitter account was slammed yesterday with an embarrassing fact check. (laughs) The White House. They bragged about reduced unemployment yesterday. Since President Biden took office, pointing out they've declined from 18.8 million to 1.4 million over the course of his presidency. The most of any president in American history. Forget about the fact we had a pandemic, a lockdown, And all kind of people were put out of work by the government. (laughs) The tweet made no reference to unemployment stemming from, you know, coronavirus and the community note that was inserted and made that important distinction. Twitter's notice added context in explaining that the coronavirus pandemic had inflated unemployment claims. Two different federal COVID unemployment programs have expired since December 31st of 2020, making living off welfare less tenable. That normally means somebody's going to go back to work. This isn't the first time that Biden has been placed on the receiving end of a community notes disclaimer since Elon Musk made Twitter's new owner. Biden's official presidential account was hit with a community note in October just after Elon took over Twitter, with a disclaimer setting the record straight on the tax ramifications of Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. What did it mean? That notice made it clear that Biden significantly overstated the number of large companies that would incur new tax liability because of the law. You remember it was going to be those evil corporations that were going to have to pay the money to pay for this inflation act. There's not enough big corporations out there if they taxed them all. (laughs) It wouldn't be enough to pay for the inflation act. It's definitely something to be said for allowing the reader, you know, us, people, rather than an official third party to gauge the accuracy of social media posts from government officials and powerful individuals. But the left has no grounds to object after they devised the internet censorship regime previously being used at Twitter. Perhaps the premise of a fair playing field, what would that look like? Oh my gosh. Maybe that would be enough to get Democrats to pick up their ball and go home. In a post-midterm news conference, Biden suggested the federal government was keenly watching Musk. Of course, he didn't 
accused Musk of any wrongdoing. We're watching you. Big Brother is watching you. If they're watching Elon, guess who else are watching? You and me. I tweet. Do you tweet? Biden's press secretary refused to rule out deleting the official White House Twitter account in a briefing last week. It'd be fine with me. I wish there's some way we could shut up everything coming out of the White House. A California congressional district that's currently represented by a Democrat, that district kicked the Democrat out of office. They're sending a Republican to Congress. His name is John Duarte. He has been named the official 13th congressional district winner over Democrat Adam Gray. Barbara Lee is currently representing the district, but its boundaries were shifted in redistricting. Lee was elected in the 12th district. Gray conceded the Central Valley contest on Friday last week. After weeks of incredibly hard work by our election workers, the result has become clear. Gray said that in a statement. While I had hoped for a different outcome, I accept the results and have called to congratulate my opponent, John Duarte. This was one of the closest races in the country, according to the Associated Press. More than 130,000 ballots were cast, and the outcome will be decided by just a few hundred votes. The website Ballotpedia said that 593 votes separated the two candidates. Associated Press said Democrats enjoy a 14-point edge over Republicans in voter enrollment in that district. So what does that mean? Democrats have a 14-percentage-point edge over Republicans. Democrats didn't go vote. Duarte's statement focused on working partnership with Democrats to get results. I promised our Valley families that I would be their bipartisan champion in Washington by fighting for food on our tables gas in our tanks, water on our farms. That is exactly what I'm going to go there to do, he said. Now, what's he talking about, the valley? And why? What's water on our farms? Why is that a big deal? Do you know anything about California other than Hollywood and maybe Palm Springs and San Francisco and L.A.? You know anything besides that? It's a very big state, very diverse state. It's not all Hispanic. And it's not all Hollywood and people, not everybody in California thinks the same way that people in those two big cities, San Francisco and L.A., think. The Central Valley, there's a mountain range that runs north to south in California. It's between the Pacific Ocean and this mountain range that all the big cities exist. Start at the bottom at San Diego, go up Los Angeles, go up San Francisco. Across the bay from San Francisco is Oakland. On the other side of that mountain range is called the Central Valley. It's one of the most fertile stretches of farmland in the United States. For generations, a huge percentage of our groceries, our produce, All the fresh stuff, fruit, avocados, almonds, pretty much anything you can name grows prolifically 
The weather is fairly dry, but the soil is the kind of soil that you just throw something in it and it's automatically going to grow. So guess what happened to the Central Valley? There's a little fish that the ecologists found that changed the nature, literally the nature of the Central Valley. What are you talking about, Dan? The Central Valley gets almost all of its water from runoff from those mountains because it snows in the winter and all that runoff comes down the mountain. And it was diverted years ago so that a huge portion of the water that came down from the mountains on the west side was diverted to come over to the east side and it was it was transported and was spread out across the Central Valley with a very neat collection of um, trenches, but they're not trenches. They're not, they're not, it's not rivers, but it's man-made so that they can distribute water and these farms could get that water. Ecologists found a little fish, I mean, little bitty called the smelt. And that they said that the diverting of this mountain water from the west side of the mountains was destroying, making that little smelt extinct. And so the hard left climate folks, they got legislation passed in California for that to stop. And so all of that water that for generations had been being diverted to the Central Valley where food was grown for people all around the world. Several times I've ridden up the Central Valley street, not street, but the highway going up, Highway 99, California 99. You get on it at Bakersfield and go up north through the Central Valley, some of the most beautiful country you've ever seen. Much of it is, is gone now because it can't get water. That was a long explanation, but that's what this Republican was saying. He promised our Valley families that he would be their bipartisan champion, fighting for food on our tables, gas in our tanks, and water on our farms. Duarte's win is now official. Republicans have 221 seats in the House. Democrats have 213. That gives them an eight-point lead. And there's still one Colorado contest that's in the recount process. Duarte's a business guy, a farmer who grows grapes, pistachios, and almonds. And he won the nonpartisan June primary in the district. You deserve to thrive, not just survive. Out-of-touch career politicians have put the needs of big companies and special interests before us. They've driven prices sky high with reckless spending. Working Valley families are being forced to choose between food on the table and gas in the tank. As your congressman, I'll do the right thing. I'll vote to suspend the gas tax and cut fuel and food prices. I mean, he's saying all the right stuff. That resonates with those voters in the Central Valley. Remember, it's government, California government, that that took away the livelihoods of tens of thousands of of Californians that for generations had depended on the agricultural products coming out of those farms up and down the Central Valley. 
I think it's a great thing to get a guy like this salvaging, hopefully. He can uh, get enough people involved with him to, to figure out how to get the Central Valley watered again. <laughs> it seems so simple, but it's really not simple. Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton, a senator from Arkansas. He, um, he got after the inactivity of Merrick Garland's Department of Justice and the FBI. Remember when uh, there were all of these protests when the abortion, the Roe v. Wade thing was pending before the United States Supreme Court and Supreme Court justices, their houses were being picketed, their yards were being strewn with all kind of stuff, even death threats. In fact, one guy came from out of town and he was there to assassinate Justice Brett Kavanaugh. You remember that? Well, there's legality involved here that the DOJ and the FBI did not even get involved in. It is against federal law. It is a criminal felony to intimidate or try to intimidate a federal judge. But the Department of Justice, even with the guy that was threatening to kill Brett Kavanaugh, even with all of that knowledge, they never did anything. And this administration won't do anything to stop illegal trespassing and committing a felony by going after these people on the street. Tom Cotton got after that very thing yesterday in a hearing. Director Ray, is it a crime under Section 1507 of Title 18 to picket and protest outside of a federal judge's home to try to influence his or her decision? Uh, I don't have the statute in front of me, but that sounds like a fair description. Uh, so on numerous occasions uh, in recent months, there have been large-scale protests outside the homes of Supreme Court justices in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, yesterday, the head of the Department of Justice Criminal Division confirmed that the Biden Justice Department has not brought a single case against any individual for breaking that law by protesting outside of those justices' homes. Um, are you aware of the FBI making any arrests for violations of Section 1507? Uh, I'm, well, I'm aware that we have a number of investigations related to uh, threats of violence against justices um, and against judicial buildings, including the Supreme Court. Uh, and of course, we assisted in the recent charges of the individual who had a, a plot to kill uh, or an intent to kill uh, Justice Kavanaugh. What statutes are involved, uh, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think any of them and used 1507 as the uh, offense. Why were, why were there no arrests for an obvious violation that played out on national television? <laughs> Did someone in the Biden Department of Justice direct you not to let FBI agents enforce that law? Uh, no, I don't think we've gotten any directive to that effect. I think part of what you're driving at, uh, respectfully, is is goes to questions about the interpretation of and applicability uh, of the statute. And while I absolutely understand your interest in the question, um, I think... This is one of those times where I would uh, point to the department as the lawyers who are making. Well, I have it right here in front of me. It's not very confusing. Whoever, with the intent of influencing any judge in the discharge of his duty, 
pickets or parades in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for not more than one year. I mean, it happened on national television news. Were there no self-starting FBI agents in the area that thought, wow, they're committing a terrible federal crime. I'm going to go arrest them. Well, as I said, you know, we're working very closely with the marshals, with Supreme Court police, uh, with the uh, Supreme Court marshals. You know, they have the principal responsibility for crowd control and protecting the justices. We have a number of investigations underway as we speak. And then questions as to the enforcement of that particular statute uh, constitutionally are are better directed to the department. Well, I don't think there's much question about the constitutionality. In 1965, in Cox v. Louisiana, the Supreme Court held up a virtually identical state statute. In 1988, Justice John Paul Stevens stated that it would be constitutional to prohibit protesting outside even an elected officials' home, not judges' home, but elected officials' homes, because, quote, there is simply no right to force speech into the home of an unwilling listener. So, so why, why did no FBI agent in the national capital region, seeing a crime committed repeatedly on national television, not go enforce the law. I mean, don't you expect your agents to go enforce the law? I mean, if, they, if they're aware of a bank robbery or kidnapping, do they need direction from on high to make an arrest? Well, uh, our agents are, as we've discussed at some length in different ways throughout this hearing, uh, are up to their necks uh, enforcing all sorts of laws. Uh, and I wish I, we were in a situation where every federal violation that occurred in this country was something the FBI could uh, have the resources to investigate. We have prioritized focusing on violence and threats of violence. Uh, and we are aggressively investigating uh, in that space across the spectrum, uh, including uh, violence and threats of violence against uh, members of the judicial branch. Well, I mean, these protests wound up with a hitman traveling across the country trying to assassinate Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And, we've, so and we've, he's been arrested and charged federally. Seriously, yeah. in addition to that actual hitman's crimes. I mean, again, it was happening on national television. Seems like a layup to show up and arrest them. I mean, what, what if those protesters were protesting outside of a district judge home uh, were members of MS-13 and that judge was presiding over the murder and racketeering trial of an MS-13 gang lord. Would you expect your agents to show up and arrest those protesters? Uh, you know, I would think we would want to be aggressively investigating MS-13 members, and we are. So, uh, but uh, that didn't answer my question. Is, is there, would you expect your agents to stop MS-13 from protest, protesting outside of a federal judge's home as that judge presided over an MS-13 murder trial? Uh, knowing what we know about MS-13, uh, and their uh, almost um, epic commitment to violence, uh, an MS-13 member engaging in that activity outside a judge presiding over uh, an MS-13 trial would be something that I think would, would lead to us trying to look at every tool we have to be able to protect that judge. So it's, it's okay to protest outside of Supreme Court Justice's home if you disagree with their potential rulings? I didn't say that. I don't so believe that. So what's the difference between the two? I think the difference is twofold. One, uh, we have to make sure that we are prioritizing and enforcing those uh, violations of federal criminal law that uh, are, represent the greatest threat to the public. Uh, and so that in particular focuses on violence and threats of violence. Second, as to this particular statute, 
questions about when it applies constitutionally are, with respect, better directed to the department. Uh, if I was sitting here as the Assistant Attorney General or the Attorney General, I might have a different type of response to you. But as FBI Director, on the interpretation of the statute uh, constitutionally, I would defer to the department on that. Well, I, I'm, I'm very disappointed that Department of Justice and the FBI didn't take these protests themselves seriously. As I said, they led to a Democratic hitman showing up and trying to assassinate a sitting Supreme Court justice. We all know a federal judge who lost her son and almost lost her husband because someone showed up at their home as well. These are serious and grave threats. It is an obvious black letter violation of the criminal law. And I, I hope if it happen, happens again, the FBI will take it more seriously and start arresting them and charging with the violation of this obvious crime. What... Senator Cotton is missing when he's talking to Christopher Ray, the FBI director. Listen, this entire administration, top to bottom, White House, all the way down to the lowest federal position that we have in the government. The leadership of this administration made it very clear and makes it clear over and over and over again by things he says, things he does, things he doesn't do that he knows he should be doing. He's made it very clear. Nobody's going to hold anybody accountable for anything they do wrong if it is done in the purview of supporting this administration, its policies, and any of its pending actions because it's happening in this administration. This president, in his administration, is doing it, even if it violates the law. It's okay. You're going to give everybody a free pass. In the context of what Christopher Ray was talking about and saying to Senator Cotton regarding these nasty protests that are happening at these Supreme Court justices' homes, pretty much nonstop around the clock. The fact that the very protesting of those homes breaks federal law, and to be honest with you, he swore an oath when he took the job as director of the FBI to do exactly that, stop any law breakers, hold them accountable for their law breaking, period. There's no little parentheses at the end of it that says, but if you think it fits the political narrative of the president to not enforce this law, it's okay for you not to enforce it. I heard probably a hundred times Nancy Pelosi when Donald Trump was president, no man's above the law. Nobody's above the law. Well, this president... Nancy Pelosi herself, Chuck Schumer, a bunch of Democrats in office, they all feel like they don't have to abide by the laws. And when someone breaks the laws and they like it or they want it to happen because of the circumstances of breaking that law, it's okay. So it's okay to stab somebody under certain circumstances. And if you do that, forget about what the law says about it. It's what fits the political or the social purpose of the day. This is what this administration is doing. 600 executive orders 
Why would a president do one executive order? It's only to clarify, supposedly. It's not in the Constitution, by the way. It's a policy that was created. And it should be uncreated because it does nothing good but cause chaos and it gives an authoritarian member of this administration artificial power that is unconstitutional to do things that this administration wants to do and circumvent the U.S. Congress. When you have people like Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, he's down there waving He's waving people to come in the country illegally. He brags about it. He's sending them all over the nation. He's inviting them to come from a hundred different other countries, come to the United States, and his not holding those lawbreakers accountable, every single one. If you step across our southern border without a formal invitation by the federal government, you created a problem for yourself, you broke criminal law, period. That should be all that's necessary for that person to be held accountable according to the law. Mayorkas doesn't do it. We probably have, just in two years, 10 million illegals walking around this nation, and they're doing so illegally, but Alejandro Mayorkas, Joe Biden, they don't care. And numbering among those are a bunch of terrorists. We know that for a fact. We caught a hundred of them before they could get in. But how many of those gotaways were terrorists that are in the nation now? We will never be a nation again, a real nation again, until all those that are charged with working in the Department of Justice in any capacity, instead of just swearing an oath to the Constitution, every one of them begins to enforce the laws that are passed constitutionally and that they swore they would uphold. And they're not doing it. Christopher Ray should be fired immediately. Alejandro Mayorkas should be fired immediately. Anybody in the Department of in the Justice Department, top to bottom, in the intelligence departments, top to bottom, if they're doing anything illegally, they gotta go. Unless they're sent packing, we will never have the right to tell the next generation we're handing you a safe America for you to live in and run. Because it's not safe. There is no justifiable excuse for not abiding by the law, period. Have you heard about the Philadelphia gas station? The district attorney there won't enforce laws. Picks and chooses which laws to enforce, which ones not to. It's so egregious, so much robbery happening at this gas station He decided to go hire some armed guards. I'm not talking about the ones that, you know, they wear the black suits and they go with these dignitaries and all. I'm talking about military garb. One of them 
standing in front of the gas station in full military garb, carrying an AR shotgun with him. Here's the information about that. You'll hear what this guy had to say, this armed guard. Some Philadelphia gas stations are adding a new feature, armed guards. It's a shocking sight, but one store owner believes it's necessary to keep customers and staff safe. Action News reporter Andy McCormick has the story tonight from North Philadelphia. Locked and loaded. The enhanced security measures at this North Philadelphia Carco gas station has the public's attention. The first week it was tension from the public because they have never seen anybody with an AR shotgun walking around. And it, it you know, why are you here? Uh, are we in Beirut? It's nice and safe for me. I can get my juice, go back to my car without worrying about somebody jumping in it. Neil Patel owns 22 gas stations in the region, 12 in Philadelphia. He hired the armed agents because he says crime targeting customers and his store and employees is rampant. Selling the drugs openly, cops here, they don't do nothing. Oh my God, robberies, stealings, vandalizing my car. We're Pennsylvania state agents and we're not security. Um, basically what we do is we do security details to protect the public when the public calls upon us when the police can't be there. We watched as the agents defuse potential conflicts tonight. A 6ABC analysis of Philadelphia police data shows firearm robberies at gas stations have more than tripled over the last few years. We have nine gas station uh, shooting cases that we're representing right now. Philadelphia-based attorney David Theroselvum says gas stations are a soft target for shootings, robberies, and carjackings. He has nine clients who are gunshot victims suing the gas station owners where their shootings occurred. He says by law, owners must protect customers from known dangers. When you've got shootings and things like that going up and down the street right around you, you know or should know that that could come on your property as well. The guards working here say since they began patrolling this gas station three weeks ago, they've already received inquiries from other gas stations in the region. Reporting in North Philadelphia, Annie McCormick, Channel 6, Action News. I got two ways to think about how I would feel if I pulled up there to get some gasoline and I saw this guy with a AR shotgun standing there. Was he coming after me? Or was he protecting the property? And it'd be a little intimidating for me in both cases. I mean, I don't know the guy. I suppose that he's a reputable guy. The establishment hired him and brought him over there with a gun. But come on now. If you saw me, guess what? I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to confess. I own an AR shotgun, a Sega riot shotgun. And it's pretty intimidating when it's loaded and you stand there and hold it. If I saw a big guy doing that, standing with it across his arms, it's not strapped on his back, and he's not standing inside the place, he's walking back and forth out in front of this gas station, I'd probably uh, I'd probably go down the street to Circle K to get my gas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That is uh, a little bit beyond intimidating. But sadly, it looks like those are the kind of things we got to make okay. I know, I know, I got a little emotional, got a little animated today. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm just telling you that in our Christmas season, I don't want anybody to mess it up. I don't want any kind of mass thing to happen. 
I want to move into this Christmas with good things to share and talk about. We love you here at TNN Live. By the way, our website is back up. I got a text just a minute ago. Some kind of problem, a glitch. Truthnewsnet.org. Check out the story that's published there today. You'll like it. We'll see you tomorrow. Christmas song. Hmm. I kind of like this one. I played my best for you.